Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murr, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another post-game live here on Dime Dropper on this Sunday night. And what a night of hoops. I've been getting a lot of people asking me when I'm going live. Well, here we are. Let's start out. Actually, no, before we get started, you already know the drill. Make sure to subscribe on all platforms. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Dime Dropper Pod. Subscribe on the YouTube channel to Dime Dropper. And hit the notification bell so you know every single time we go live. As always, live from Los Angeles, California. Super chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar or a dime. Playoff recap, so much to get to. And here's the agenda. I'm going to start with Lakers-Grizzlies game six because, of course, it's an L.A. channel. So L.A. takes priority. Sorry, everybody else. Then we're going to go to the Warriors series. I did not even talk about game five. Or game six. So I'm going to be doing a nice rundown of that series. Because that series by far blew every other one out of the water. It was next level stuff. It was one of the best first round series I can remember in recent memory. And then we're going to go into Nick's Heat. And one result that really satisfied me this weekend. Phoenix getting comprehensively beaten like a fucking drum by the Nuggets. So let's get into the Lakers against the Teddies. And obviously the Lakers had set themselves up at this point to finish the job. You take care of business at home and you win the game on the road. One game, steal home court. Now you got one game to finish it off. And the Lakers came out with the exact same kind of intensity defensively and the energy that you saw in game three. They came out and smacked the Grizzlies in the face. They only allowed 20 points in the first quarter, outscored them 31. One to 20 and then they just kind of had the lead the entire game like they were just it was a wire to wire win but it just never felt like they were threatened and you know I gotta say about Memphis they're so unbelievably predictable it's the I called it again it's the same thing as last year when they're not hitting the three ball and Jaw is not getting whatever he wants at the rim or in the pick and roll it's just semi-contested or open threes left and right and they brick and that's it it's just it's embarrassing, you know. They don't go to Jaron Jackson enough uh, down low as a go-to guy. A lot of times when Jaw plays, you saw him look really good in Game Two and in Game One. But after that, he just became another pick and pop guy with occasional looks. But you gotta give the credit to Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was just the best player in that series, bar none. End of story. And he was the best player on the court in this game. And you wouldn't even have been able to tell with the stat line. The amount of shots he alters. The amount of shots he blocks. He was looking like Bill Russell in this series on the defensive end. I mean, it was insane. Ja had his you know steady diet of shots at the rim challenged and contested. He shot three for 16. 
Look, I I think John Morant's awesome. I think he's a beast. But he really has some flaws that come out in the playoffs. You can't be the best scorer on your team as a point guard, and you can't hit a shot consistently from outside the foul line. It's it's an extreme detriment to the team when it comes to these kind of this kind of competition. He's lucky he played against that fucking AAU low IQ Minnesota team last year that they fucking won. The Memphis Teddy Bears are of this era are complete frauds, complete regular season merchants, as they say. And Ja, it all starts with him. If he gets a consistent mid-range at the minimum, things might change. But they also were shorthanded. I'm not going to act like they were not shorthanded. Losing Steven Adams' screen-setting and toughness and rebounding, and then Brandon Clark's athleticism and rebounding and lob, you know, his lob threat, that shit matters too. And the series would have been completely different with them, but I still would have favored the Lakers. Because at the end of the day, even with Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, one thing that doesn't change is that the Lakers have the two best players in the series for me. Anthony Davis, in my opinion, and the Lakers, by the way, it was becoming a party. They were messing around at one point. And I got to say, LeBron, I said it. He saved the tank for game six, and I was right. He was attacking from the get-go, making quick decisions. He was hitting his three ball. He was locked in. He was not playing games. And he was getting the job done. D'Angelo Russell. It's safe to say this was the best series of his career in the playoffs because the other two series just weren't very good against Philadelphia and against Memphis last year because he had some good games in this one. He got hot, and the crowd, you know, got to give credit to the Laker crowd. They stood up first time since 2013 to have a sold-out house in the playoffs, and they brought it every single game. Lakers going undefeated at home. And, you know, you look back at the 2010 run for the Lakers. They didn't lose any games at home when they went to the championship and won that Western Conference um, at all. But Anthony Davis, man... He, in my opinion, is the best defender in basketball. And I've been holding on to that thought for a couple years now. And the only reason I've been hesitant to say it is because of his health. But in 2020, and everybody, I mean, I didn't have Dime Dropper then. I had it during the bubble, though. If you look at my, like, early, early episodes, you can find those on, like, Podbean or Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you go back far enough. Spotify may have a limit, but if you go to Apple Podcasts, you'll find them. Anthony Davis should have won Defensive Player of the Year in 2020. They robbed him blind. They robbed him blind for favoring Giannis. I don't know why. I think Giannis is a very good defender, but Anthony Davis is the best defender in basketball with Draymond Green second, in my opinion. And if if Jaron Jackson Jr. is supposed to be the best defender in the league, well, we saw right there. Anthony Davis is better than him. His rim protection, his timing, the way he can be, he's such a good drop big. I don't see Giannis as a drop big. I don't really even see him as a big. He's a big forward. AD still moves and plays like a more traditional power forward or a guy that can play the five you know the thing about ad is when you put him in drop coverage he does such an incredible job of playing the ball handler and the roller all at once i don't think Giannis does that at the same level in terms of rotations at the rim ad is also amazing coming from the weak side that's where draymond green is really good that's where Giannis is really good although Giannis and ad go above the rim draymond he gets to the spot quick he'll strip you He'll, you know, bump you a little bit, throw you off your game just with his timing, and he's got really good hands and he's strong. But Anthony Davis, to be able to he block you above the rim and the rotations, and he can switch one through five, like actually switch one through five, and even though sometimes you'll get blown by, 
he has the length to make up for it and recover on the play and oftentimes pin dudes. I've seen that a ton of times. Draymond is not as good in space as he once was, so that's why I lean Anthony Davis as the best defensive player in basketball. And it's a big luxury when you have the best defensive player in basketball and he's also capable of scoring 30 every single night. Now, that's the part, though, that is going to have to come out against a better opposition in the next round. Anthony Davis needs to continue to be aggressive. You know, in this game, he wasn't necessarily extremely offensively aggressive, but it didn't matter because the Lakers just, the Grizzlies, they just could not score. You know, and the Lakers' defense is fantastic, but Memphis's offense is just so predictable. And it was just getting fun for the Lakers. They were just running them out of there. D'Lo started getting hot. You know, it was just a show. Austin Reeves was in double figures. LeBron was cooking. Rui Hachimura was having fun. It was just a comprehensive beatdown. The Lakers win it and finish the series with a 40-piece, 40 points, 125-85, to another chuck fest for Dylan Brooks. Actually, he shot 40% from three, two for five, but it was 4-11 from the field. Desmond Bain couldn't hit shots either. It was just the Grizzlies shot 30% from the field, only 31.6% from deep. The Lakers, on the other hand, didn't really shoot that well from three either with only 34%, but they shot 54% from the field. So the Lakers... Dylan Brooks said he, he doesn't respect anyone or does, what is, not scared of anyone until they drop 40. Well, LeBron may have not dropped 40. He didn't feed into all that. The Lakers gave him a 40-piece to end their seasons. The Teddy Bears, it's funny, man. These, this rendition of them, they're so not built for the playoffs, whereas the other rendition of them, the mem- like the, the ones that I fucking hate with a passion that burns like a fucking furnace inside me, Marc Gasol, Tony Allen, oh my God, just saying their names make me like have an ick. Ugh, Tony Allen, Mike Conley, Marc Gasol, and Zebo. Those guys were built for the playoffs because they rebounded, they defended at a high level, and they had mid-range and at the basket. The one thing that that team lacked was somebody like Ja that was a superstar. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to say some more words about Ja in a second. Let's talk about the lines. Let's start with the Lakers. Lonnie Walker, Max, I mean, it was benchwarming time in these in these games. And by the way, Darvin Ham went away from Beasley, if I recall correctly. It's been a couple of days since the game. But if I recall correctly, he went away from Beasley. It was just Wenyan Gabriel, uh, Rui Hachimura, and Schroeder, if I'm not mistaken. And their defense was good. I mean, Wenyan Gabriel gave them some really good effort off the, gla- uh, off the bench, on the glass. You know, two rebounds, six points in just 10 minutes. But it was the starters, you know, that really killed it in this one. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt only played 15 minutes, but nine points, three boards, three assists. Thought he was doing a little bit of everything. And I think that Vando has done a good job for the Lakers in starting games. You know, just getting him off to the right uh, start energy-wise. He guards the best player to start games. He gets rebounds. People talk about his floor spacing or lack thereof. But, you know, got to keep the defense honest. And that's something that Draymond Green is going to use to his advantage in that next series. But I'm not going to get too into the next series just yet. How about Austin Reeves? 11.6 rebounds and 8 assists. I think the guy absolutely passed the playoffs his first series with flying colors. I mean, he is ready for the moment. You can just kind of tell. I've, I've been saying he was, he's kind of, we talked about it, me and CL, before the series. And by the way, my prediction was off. I said Lakers in 7. I thought John Morant would be a little bit better. But he is who I initially thought he was. I tried to give the Teddy some respect. But all bark, no bite with those boys. And the Lakers got him out of here. First time playing the Grizzlies in the history of the Laker franchise. And now there's only one team the Lakers haven't faced in the playoffs in the West. And that is yours truly, the Clippers. Ooh-wee. Hopefully that doesn't happen anytime soon. Because uh, unless we go to the Into a Dome, then it might be a little different because we got real home court. Although still going to be a lot of Laker fans regardless. But anyway, not to go on a tangent. Austin Reeves, me and CL talked about it. This is just one of those guys that you can sense he's built for this shit. 
You know, he has that confidence. People that have never played the game of basketball like to talk about, you can't measure confidence. You know, that's not a step. You're just talking. Like, no, it's because you haven't touched the ball before. That's why you say these things. You know, that's that's nonsense. You can just see it. You know, people that, the reason why people rely only rely on stats, I'm not saying you don't use stats and you shouldn't use a healthy balance between the stats and the eye test and all that bullshit. But my issue is, Dudes that say, your eye test is so subjective. Bro, if you know basketball, it's not that subjective. You can tell when someone's confident and someone's shaking in their fucking boots. But if you haven't touched the court before at any level, then you don't know. So, look, I'm not saying I was some D1 hoop or anything like that. I'm mad at myself. I played in a freaking men's league game today and my three ball was broke. And I'm mad at myself because the only reason that is because I'm not on the not shooting enough throughout the you know my, throughout the weeks. Because if I'm shooting, I, <laughs> all right, I'm going way too off topic. But the point is, Austin Reeves is built for it. You know. Now the question is, how will he be able to perform against better competition? Teddy's are weak sauce, but so far, round one, check Austin Reeves built for the moment. How about D'Lo? You know, D'Lo's a guy that um, uh, has had an up and down series. He's an up-and-down kind of player. That's the one thing that's tough about him. But I, the one thing i got to give D'Lo some credit for is that I don't think he's been a bad defender at all since he's put on the Laker uniform. I think he's been very solid. And as I said, he uh, it's much easier to hide 6'5 than a 6'2. You know what I'm saying? And D'Lo, 31 points, 12 for 17 from the field, 5 for 9 from deep. If I'm not mistaken, that was a playoff career high for him. Lights out when he needed it. And I got to, you know, even though I'm a Clipper fan, I got to say, you know, the Laker faithful to kind of have that moment with D'Lo after everything that has gone has been uh, everything that they've been through, you know, together in terms of them seeing D'Lo traded and then going to other teams and now he's back playing at the high, you know the most important basketball of his career. Obviously, this is going to be the first second round series of his career. You gotta love um, that moment, you know, as a Laker fan to see D'Lo play in front of the playoff crowd. Obviously, a playoff crowd that he never got to play in front of. In his first go around, how about LeBron? Twenty-two points, five rebounds, and six dimes. Nine for thirteen shooting, and only five three-pointers attempt. Two for five. When LeBron's got his legs and is attacking the basket, cutting off the ball as well, he is just so tough to stop. It's when he's just chucking threes and he's not having a good shooting night that it can be annoying. But he came to play. He knew what time it was. He finished the job. But the main man for me, AD, sixteen points and fourteen boards. Five blocks, five blocks in the postseason, or should I say in that series, he is averaging 4.3 blocks a game. That is amazing. And that does not account for all the shots that he alters as well. Six for nine from the field, so 66%. No three-point attempts, which I like. And he made four of four for his free throws. So the Lakers taking care of business. I had Lakers in seven. They won it in six. They move on to the next round to face... The Warriors, but we're not going to talk about that in a second. Now let's talk about the Teddies. Sorry, people on the audio. Just drinking some water, trying to stay hydrated, keep my throat not so dry. The Teds, man, the only one of the only, you know, one of the only players that actually played well for them was Santi Aldama. He actually had the uh, team high sixteen points. No Teddy starter scored over fifteen points. None. Zero. Zilch. By the way, you know who had a really disappointing series? Tyus Jones. I value him as one of the best backup point guards in the league. If we're going to talk about best backup point guard in the league, it's Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and I don't even know if Tyus Jones is better than Quickly. Because Ty- Quickly is a much better defender. 
But Tyus Jones was really disappointing this postseason. 16% from three. 16? Come on, man. I understand that John Morant playing reduces his minutes, but no excuse. How about the starters? Xavier Tillman is one guy who I actually think put his name up in lights in a way in this series. I'm really I'm really a fan of his now. He is a gritty player, plays tough, has decent touch around the rim, gets rebounds, uh, really strong as well, and can move his feet pretty well. Um, I really like the guy. I think he's a good player. He's going to get a payday. Jaron Jackson Jr., 14 points, four boards on three for 12 shooting and one for six from deep. It was a career year for Jaron Jackson Jr., um, I thought he was awesome in the regular season. thought he had some really good moments in this series. But overall, you know, shooting 42% from the field when you shot 51% in the regular season, AD completely outplayed him, which is not a surprise. But I think the next step for Jaron Jackson Jr. is to embrace more of a I'm a go-to guy in this team role. And that also comes from the with the coaching staff and John Morant empower him get him ready for these moments he should be averaging 20 points he can have he hits jump hooks with both hands there's a certain somebody that everybody's saying should be all uh, first team all nba this year or all not first team but all nba this year who can't hit jump hooks with his off hand we're gonna be talking about him later and i know everybody who watches the game watched the game today knows exactly who i'm talking about so not everybody hits jump hooks with either hand that's a skill Get Jaron Jackson is strong too. It's not like he that's only all he can do. He has a decent turn and face game. I don't understand. I don't understand. Anyway. How about Dylan Brooks? It's safe to say for me, you're not gonna win a championship with him starting on your team. I think DB should be a bench player. He should not start. He has the defense is fine. The antics I'm okay with. The problem is if I'm a Teddy's fan, which thank God I'm not. <laughs> he does not understand who he is as an offensive player. At Oregon, he was awesome. He was really good at getting into the paint and hitting floaters. And I, I thought he was a beast. But here in the NBA, he just chucks threes that are given to him, and he has no sense of like when to quit. I mean, in this series, he shot 31% and 24% from three. He averaged 10.5 points. He was garbage. He was straight trash, talking all that shit. Come on, man. And LeBron has a little clap back. He loves Jay-Z, LeBron. Anyway, Desmond Bain, 15 points on 5 for 16 shooting and 2 for 6 from deep. He, I mean, I thought he was maybe their best player in the series, but that's not saying much. He only shot 42% and 32 from 3. He averaged more points than he did in the regular season in the series, 23.5 in the playoffs and 21.5 in the season. But... Nah, man, Desmond Bain didn't bring it. And then Ja, or as my friend B. White likes to call him, GG Ja. Because it was a good game on this one. It's done for him. He shot 42.5%, but he did shoot 42% from three, which is mainly game uh, three, the end of it, where he really got going. And he did play well in game five, but he averaged 24.6 points in the playoffs. Uh, I know he was playing hurt, though. That definitely contributes. Um it's lower than his regular season average. Also averaged less assists in the postseason. He averaged more rebounds, though. Seven in the postseason, six in the regular season. But yes, his field goal percentage definitely dropped. 42.5%. I'm not a fan. John needs to really put in some work because right now, and I'm going to be honest with you, my criteria for this is last two years. 
And if I'm combining these last two years, in the regular season, there's a clear answer, but there's a certain guy. I kind of like his game a little bit more, and that's Trey Young. Now, I don't know who I ranked higher last year. I think I still went with, with, Trey, uh, with Trey Young. I think it's arguable 100%. So I want you to tell me who you think um, is better, John Moran or Trey Young. John Moran, obviously, he gets in the paint easier. He finishes everything at the rim. Um, he's so explosive. I think he's a better defender with his, you know, his size and athleticism. But Trey Young can really shoot that thing. He's got a better handle, really shifty. They're both good passers, but I give Trey Young the edge. They're both equally as ball dominant. I think Jaw's a little bit better off the ball because he sometimes has those occasional cuts, whereas Trey Young is extremely stagnant. But I don't know. There's something about the skill level that I'm going to go with Trey Young. But I'll tell you what, I ain't taking either of them over Fox, even though he didn't have the best game, which brings me to the next topic. Golden State and Sacramento. Hold on, before I get going, let me just take a sip of water. Let's talk about the marquee first round series, the Warriors and the Kings. So I didn't go live after game five. Um, I thought that was a pretty gutsy, we are still the champs performance by Golden State. You know, that was their first road win of this postseason. And they got contributions from the big four. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green. In my opinion, that game, Fox started out well. He hit a couple of threes. He didn't look exactly the same. He was losing the ball, which maybe was probably due to the hand or the finger, I should say. The finger fracture. Not everybody's Kobe and can make it look like, you know, it's not even he's not even injured. It's crazy he had that same type of injury for the entire postseason in 2010. You could not tell. But I still don't think it's an excuse. I always have a saying, if you're too hurt to play, don't play. If you're on the court, no excuses. And De'Aaron Fox hit a couple of threes, but I think his touch in the mid-range is a little bit off. You also have to give credit to the Warrior defense, though. Andrew Wiggins, Klay Thompson, these guys brought it. But that game, honestly, was a very high-scoring game. It was it was kind of similar to game one, and uh, game four was just kind of like, who can score more points? But what I noticed in that game was the Warriors have more plus defenders. That was the obvious thing. And I thought in that moment that confirmed my belief that they were going to win the series because the Kings, besides Davion Mitchell, they don't really have any good defenders. I guess I think Fox is actually pretty good. But besides that, they really have average at best defenders. And the Warriors, they have Clay, They have, who's I'd say good now, not great anymore. Wiggins, who's awesome. And then mainly Looney and Draymond. I mean, Gary Payton's good too. But Looney and Draymond, the way they protected the rim, the way they were shutting down Sabonis. Um, actually, no, this game was the one Sabonis played pretty decently. But the way they were just kind of limiting him and making life tough for him was huge. And then the rebounding. 11 offensive rebounds for the Kings. 12, I'm sorry, for the Warriors, 12 for the Kings. But the main thing was... You know, 25 from Klay Thompson on 10 of 9 shooting and 5 for 11 from deep. 31 from Curry on 12 for 25 and 2 for, t- 2 for 10 from deep. It wasn't great, but, you know, you'll take that all day. And then Wiggins had 20. And then Draymond had 21 points, 4 rebounds, and 7 assists. So when you get – and 4 steals and a block. When you get 21 points from Draymond, that's when the Warriors are, like, very tough to beat. Like, very tough. Fox had a tough one, though. He was 9 for 25 in the game. 3 for 10 from deep. 24, 7, and 9. Sabonis had 21 and 10. Still Kevin Herter could not get his three ball to fall. 1 for 4 from deep. And the Warriors won that one. 123 to 116. 
in a hostile environment. I thought the series was over right there. I really did. But you got to give credit to uh, Sacramento. The way they played on Friday in Game 6, it was just unbelievable. The intensity they came out with. Um, they outworked the Warriors. They killed them in transition. Uh, they created turnovers. Davion Mitchell did a really good job on Steph. They ran their sets to perfection, and they pushed the pace down the Warriors' throat. You could see what Mike Brown was saying. Push, push, push. Keep playing with pace. And they were running them out of there. They just, as cliche as it sounds, wanted it more. They were first to loose balls. They were beating them in transition every single time. And they were getting rebounds. Sabonis protected the rim and defended as well as I've ever seen him defend in Game 6. He had multiple blocks. He was affecting shots. My only issue with him was he was reckless with his fouls, and his 6th and 5th foul were so stupid. But he was, and honestly, you know, coming out to the level of the screen, hedging, he was doing a decent job. It was more like a shallow drop um, more than a straight hedge because when you do that, if you allow Steph Curry to get the ball over the top, those 4-on-3 situations are tough to defend. And one thing you saw Mike Brown do was an adjustment was... He got Trey Lyles in and didn't play Alex Len. And Alex Len, you know, by putting Trey Lyles in that, into that unit, going as a small ball five, you now had two advantages. You can switch more defensively, and then you spread them out offensively. And the Warriors were electing to have Looney switch on a guards. And as good as Looney is moving his feet, he could not really stay in front of certain guys. And another guy who I thought had a really bad defensive game in that one was Curry. He was getting blown by left and right. He was getting beat off the ball. Monk and Fox were getting two feet in the paint at will and finding guys. And the Kings shot decently from three, 38%. Um, they just kind of extended the lead as the game went on. They outscored the Warriors 35-26 in the second, 32-29 to in the third, and then mainly 28-19 to in the fourth. It looked like the Warriors had no legs left in them. They got good games. or not? I don't even want to say good games, but decent shooting nights from Curry and Thompson. Those aren't good games for them. But the supporting cast didn't bring it enough offensively in that one, whereas the Kings one did. Malik Monk in transition. And Malik Monk, you know, he was a poor defender last year for the Lakers. Like, we watched the games here. But I want to say in this series, I saw more good defensive moments from him than I've ever seen. Active hands, just working harder. You know, he had so much to play for. Um, shout out to the Super Chat. The one says, Mike Brown in Sacramento played the dubs as well as I've seen anyone play them. Made them run, stretch their defense out, attack well in space. But, yeah, it was a beatdown by the Kings. They earned that one, and I thought, man, I really thought they had the series right there. As far as I know the stat lines to read from that game, the Warriors got 21 points from their bench total. Moody had 9 points on 3 for 6 shooting. DiVincenzo had another stinker, 8 points on 1 of 5, and they didn't do a good job guarding. Jordan Poole, I forgot to mention him, he was terrible in Game 6 on both ends of the floor. And the thing about Poole is... He just takes really tough shots. He gets to the rim at ease, but he's not really strong enough yet, and he doesn't take contact well, and he throws up bullshit at the rim. And if he does not hit shots right away or you know, within the few, first few minutes of him coming in, he should not get many minutes in that Lakers series because LeBron is going to target him left and right and pick and roll. You better believe it. So Jordan Poole, he had a nightmare first round. It was nothing like the first round series against Denver last year where he was killing him. He needs to be smarter with his decisions. 
I'll talk about how he played in Game 7 in a second, but 2 for 11 in Game 6. Klay Thompson, 22 points on 8 for 20 shooting, but 2 for 9 from deep. And the Dubs shot 10 for 32 from 3 in Game 6. That's just 31%. 37% from the field. Andrew Wiggins, 13.7 rebounds. He looked like he ran out of legs. He could not make shots at the rim. He could not make his open shots. He was 0 for 3 from deep. Looney, I thought, was actually decent, though. One of the only ones that played well. 7 points and 13 boards. And Clay, uh, Steph Curry, he did not have a good shooting game until the fourth quarter. He had like 10 points at the top of the fourth. And then after that, he kind of got slowed down and didn't have much left in the tank. It wasn't a very great game for him, but he had 29 points, four rebounds, and five dimes on nine for 21 shooting and five for 12 from deep. The Warriors had 18 turnovers, though, in the game. That is absolutely huge against the Kings team. That will put you away every time you turn the ball over. They had... Uh, 23 points off their off the Warrior turnovers. So credit to Sacramento. They did their thing in that one. As far as the Kings, Malik Monk, 28.7 boards, 4 assists in that game. 8 for 14 from the field and 3 for 6 from deep. He was amazing. You saw Terrence Davis, and this is going to be, you know, it's going to lead into my next one, my next game. But Terrence Davis had a solid game, really good off the bench, even though he fouled out. He had some good minutes defensively on Curry, on Poole. He had seven points on two-for-five shooting. Davion Mitchell actually got less minutes than him, and I think that's because Mike Brown likes him better offensively. Davion Mitchell, five points on two-for-seven shooting. Trey Lyles, 12 points and nine rebounds on five-for-ten shooting. He was awesome. Gave the Kings the advantage that they needed. As far as the starters, Harrison Barnes only played 15 minutes. He has really struggled to hit the three ball. And then the other four guys, Kevin Herter, 12 points. I thought he played really solid defense. I will say that, but still, just 3 for 11 from the field and 3 for 8 from deep. But I will say this, he made big threes, big threes in the fourth quarter. So you got to give credit to Herter. And then Keegan Murray didn't have a great shooting game, but I thought he held his own defensively, and he rebounded. 15 points and 12 boards. Sabonis... He was really solid defensively, and he did a good job on the glass, but I think they honestly had better moments when Lyle's in the game. However, nine offensive rebounds for Sabonis. So to say that he's had a bad game because he shot three for 12 is short-sighted and not looking at the big picture. Seven points, 11 boards, a steal, and a block. And then the man, Fox. 26 points, 11 assists, three steals. He showed his, his, his finger was okay. 10 for 18 from the field, 2 for 5 from 3, kept the season alive. you got to admire the resilience for, from Sacramento, and that forced the best two words in team sports. Game 7, and that brings us to Sunday. Oh, man, this one was one for the ages, as all Game 7s tend to be, or most of them, I should say. Obviously, the loudest stadium in the league. The loudest stadium in the league during these playoffs Sacramento haven't hosted a game seven at home since 2002 against the Lakers. Sadly, it ended up being the same result for them. What an environment, what an atmosphere. It was loud as hell. And you knew if there were, there was any team that could beat the uh, Kings at home in a game seven. It's the golden state warriors who are battle tested and experienced. So, an adjustment made by Steve Kerr to start this game. Get Draymond Green back in the starting lineup instead of Poole. Because, as I said, Poole wasn't playing well. Got him back in there. Thought it was pretty intense in the first half. Really good displays of offense. And that's one thing, you know, you got to appreciate from this series and we'll always be able to look back on is the movement. Both teams playing that motion. 
takes so much off your legs guarding that in the half court. It was already tough enough to guard in the half court in today's NBA, but with teams running like that, that many dribble handoffs, that many back screens, just that many screens off the ball, very difficult, but also very beautiful to watch for the neutral fan. And I'm so happy that I was a neutral in this game. I mean, I thought this was going to go really down to the wire. The Warriors and Steph Curry had other plans, but it was just, it was enjoyable to just kind of watch this from afar and just be an unbiased spectator. Um, I was kind of rooting for the Kings just because I'm rooting for the underdog always, but I was just trying to see good hoops, and I think the Warriors, you know, will make for better television against the Lakers. But first quarter, pretty even, 31-30, except you knew right away that Steph Curry was, you know, on a different type of time. They were getting really good looks out of the pick and roll. Uh, Looney was doing a much better job in that short roll than you've seen in the beginning of the series. And, you know, if you're wondering why don't they have Draymond setting more screens, it's because they were going to switch Keegan Murray when Draymond set the screen with uh, Looney, Sabonis was guarding him, so then you put Sabonis in the action, and you go to that shallow drop. And that shallow drop was getting punished, whether on the pocket pass or Steph Curry. You know, what he was doing, he was really strategic about was, one, he was pulling up on him, he was giving him too much room, and two, he would wait for Sabonis to retreat, and then he would step back with that little one-two step back to his when he's going to his left against his defender when they recovered. And that was getting guys left and right. And also, you know, snaking the screens. I mean, Steph... He just has it all in terms of that offensive package, handling the ball and the pick and roll. It's just you got to pick your poison. And, yeah, 31-30, the Kings after one, 27-26 in the second quarter. So they were up 58-56 at the half. Um, Keegan Murray had a pretty solid first half. I thought Sabonis was really active in the first half. He was finishing well around the rim, rolling well, had a couple of jump hooks. There was one time where he was getting fired up. And Terrence Davis had some good offensive production. But defensively, he was struggling with Curry. He was struggling with Curry. The only thing that was going wrong for the Warriors in the first half was that Wiggins and Thompson weren't making their shots. But I thought that the quality of looks for Golden State was better. I felt that in that first half. And in the second half... Klay Thompson had a couple of shots. One of them was a bad possession, one-on-one, late in the shot clock, going to his left of the baseline, contested jumper. And when I saw that go in, I thought he could get going. And I think half of his field field goals made came in the third quarter, and he also had a free throw. So I think he had like seven points in that quarter, and that really helped the Warriors a little bit. And I think, you know, you listen to the postgame, and that's part of why I I came on live a little bit later tonight, is I was listening to the postgame, Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, and Draymond. And by the way, that's not the only adjustment Kerr made with the Draymond substitution. He also matched Looney's minutes with Sabonis. So to do that, um, so he could have Draymond in to go small against Laos. So he'll, he'll have his own version of a little switch everything action. And it worked. It worked, you know. And also, heavy on-ball stuff. Like, again, this is a whole thing with the Curry stands and, you know, the Warrior fans and all that. The Curry stands, man... They think that Curry can just do this every single night and that this is beneficial for the team long-term. It is not beneficial for the team long-term. It's harder to guard the motion offense. It's harder to guard Curry in that for the majority of a season, and it gets other guys in rhythm, and it's just very hard to guard. It's very hard to guard. You understand how much of a break it is when you get to stand in the corner and just sit there not having to move and run around? It's a luxury as a defender. It's rest time. You know what I'm saying? And that's one thing I need to see from the Warriors is making somebody who loves to rest on D because he's good in help, LeBron James, run around. 
wear his legs out. You know, the Warriors may be older than the Kings, but against the Lakers, they're going to have to play fast. And I know if you look at the pace statistics, the Lakers have been pretty good this season, but I think a lot of the shit when it comes to pace and certain ratings this season is fool's gold. Fool's gold. The Warriors are going to want to play faster than the Lakers. The Lakers have a little bit more youth now with Reeves and Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura, so they're not incapable of playing fast. But... um. Yeah. Anyway. They have some youth, but I still think it's the Warriors' responsibility or it should be the Warriors' priority to keep running, getting transition threes, and just making their guys run around in the half court. By the way, I see this comment. It's not rest time if Steph commands a two on the ball having these guys mad dash in a four-on-three. It's really not that much running, dude, unless you do a really good job getting out. Most of the time when you get a clear four-on-three read, you usually get an open corner shot. And if you think about it, for the individual, as a team, it looks that way. But for the individual, that's like one closeout. One closeout, and then you rotate back. Whereas in motion, you really have to run around. And you, it's not even about the running. It's about the communicating. When Kobe, Kobe did a really good analysis of this in detail. But the problem with the motion, when you look at it compared to the Cavs offense, or just a high pick and roll, is it comes down to so much human error. Because you have to talk through all those screens off the ball. That's the biggest thing. And with Curry and Thompson, you have to be sharp when you're communicating because <laughs> there's so many things that they can do and they have so many counters. So that when we're comparing, yes, it's not just standing around, but it's not the same. It's really hard to guard in motion. But the point is, Kerr knows when it's time to put the ball in Curry's hands and say, get the fuck out the way. And you know what people don't under understand or seem to underestimate the Curry stands? They underestimate the relationship that Curry has with Kerr. You saw him talking to him in the wire to the sounds of the game. And he said, look, I'm going to take another timeout for you just to get you some extra rest. And Curry was like breathing hard, nodding his head. You know, they have that Kobe, Phil, Mike, Phil kind of bond, that kind of trust in one another. You guys think that Curry needs to play on the ball this time, all this and that, because you don't trust the other guys. You think the motion offense takes away from everybody else. I'm sorry, um, takes away from Steph and all that. Steph wants to play this way. He wants to play this way. He has won this way. So, yeah. Anyway, Steph Curry. Oh, my God. Where do I even begin? Every single time the Kings seemed to have a little run, he would put the fire out. Tough shot after tough shot. Threes off the ball. Passes being caught off the ball. Well, all passes are cut off the ball. I was stupid, but my point is, Hitting threes off the catch, cutting to the basket, driving to the basket on the ball, handle the ball and pick and roll, making good reads, killing that shallow drop. He saw Terrence Davis, Keegan Murray. He looked these guys right in the eye. He went ISO and could not be guarded. There was one time, I think it was on Terrence Davis. I forget who, though. Maybe in Lyles, where he did a hezzy, and this motherfucker was jumping so high for joy. It was nuts. It was nuts. And, I mean, ugh. We really underestimate Curry's handle sometimes. And obviously, like, the you know, his threat to shoot the ball makes him so much harder to guard because it gets guys pressuring up and obviously jumping and leaning and all that and getting, you know, uh, on their tiptoes and all that. But it's so, so hard. You have to contest his shots well or he's just going to hit. And if you get too close and bite at those pump fakes and up fakes and hezzies, he's going right to the rim. And he was doing a lot of that. Just amazing finishes, amazing shots and ones. I mean, he was putting on the full display, the full package. When it was time to go to work, 
Kerr, trust Curry, and he was getting great stuff. Now, question is, if you're the if you're the Kings, did you not play Davion Mitchell enough? Terrence Davis, yes, he's a better offensive player than Mitchell, but defensively, he did not do the same job that Mitchell did. Because over the course of the series, Curry didn't want any part of Mitchell one-on-one -on -one like that. Uh, and I'm just being honest. Uh, but with Terrence Davis, he was having his way. And everybody, like Keegan Murray, the, the Warriors were attacking Keegan Murray. And, you know, Murray's, I don't think he's a bad defender at all, but it's tough. It's, you're not ready for the moment here. This is very difficult. And you might want to question, and I'm going to ask you to, to comment on this. Do you think Mike Brown, at some point in that third quarter, should have just started blitzing Curry hard and just making anyone else beat them, considering Klay Thompson was having a bad shooting game? Because he was unconscious. Like, it, it was one of those moments where, and I've been in this situation, you know, as a Clipper fan. And I always say that, like, you never know how good someone really is until they play your team. And Steph Curry, it was to the point where the Warriors were going to get a great shot every time. Like, it just felt unstoppable. If you blitz him, he's going to find that four-on-three. And Clay and Wiggins at that point are getting higher-quality looks. And then you're getting Looney on that, you know, in that dunker spot for a lob or something. Or Draymond, whoever it may be. And then... He was just killing that shallow drop. As I said, doing a good job of honestly waiting for the big to retreat. And then he was hitting that step back when he had the guy on his hip recovering. And then one-on-one, -on -one, he was just cooking. And one thing I loved about Steph's approach, he was pulling up for mid-ranges too. You know, that's my big thing with Steph versus Dame as well. I don't think Dame is a bad mid-range at all. But I think that in the playoffs, Curry is more, uh, less, re you know, less reluctant to shoot it. You know, he's... He embraces it more. I think Steph just, same with Jamal Murray, who I'm going to get to next, but every spot on the court he can hit from. So don't neglect an area of the court. And he didn't. He was hitting from everywhere. It was incredible. It was one of the best performances in the playoffs I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen some great ones. The highest scoring game in a game seven ever. And, you know, when Curry was hitting those shots and Kavon Looney was getting all those rebounds, Got Kavon Looney. He was obviously the second best player in this series, and it wasn't even for the Warriors, and it wasn't even close. This guy is a playoff player. He's built for the playoffs. He because you know why? Because he does the things that help teams win championships. Rebounds, defends, he's tough, he's available, he sets screens, and he accepts all of it. He makes $9 million a season. $9 million. He plays 80, he's played 82 games two seasons in a row. Jordan Poole makes $28 million and is owed $30 million next year. And when he's not hitting his shots, he does not contribute in other ways. It is not even a question that Kavon Looney is much better when it comes to playoff basketball. What matters than a guy like Jordan Poole? And I don't want to blame Jordan Poole because I'm not here to bitch about what a grown man makes. But the problem is that's a reflection, in my opinion, of what society looks like, looks at in basketball now. What we value. We value all the flash. We value just points. But when those guys 
are not hitting shots, how else are they contributing? They might be looking. They might look nice on your Balls Life mixtape, but Kevon Looney is what wins games. He was crashing the boards like he was Rodman, and they felt like they had no chance. It was so deflating. Like he was killing Sabonis on the glass. It was so deflating. You could see how the Enix it got to the Kings and the Warriors. That's what the experience shows. They were taking really rushed threes. The Kings were live by the three, die by the three. They they just everyone's like, but they're gonna stick to their principles. Fine. You can have Terrence Davis and Kevin Herter shooting 30 footers five seconds into the shot clock. That shit's not going to work in the playoffs. You motherfuckers love chucking threes. Look at the quality of threes the Warriors got versus Sacramento. And then come back to me and tell me threes this, threes that, the math game. I'm not saying extremists like Phoenix where they don't shoot any, but the Kings' shot selection was not good. It showed a lot of inexperience to me. And when the Warriors, when Curry was making every one of those shots and Kevon Looney was getting all those rebounds, they were getting deflated. They were not running their sets and moving off the ball the way they were in the first half. They were, as I said, they were not running motion as hard. They looked like they were a little bit tired. But I don't think it was tired. I think they were deflated. Fox could not get his shot at all in this game. The Warriors made another adjustment, go underneath the screens and force him to shoot. And, you know, Fox couldn't hit shots. It wasn't his day. You got to give a lot of credit to Wiggins. You got a little bit more of GP2 as well in this game, 16 minutes. But, and a little bit of Moses Moody, who was I thought was really well, uh, played really solid in this series, especially after the first two games. But it was a uh, starter show in this one. A starter show. The Warrior defense was sharp. Sabonis, man, in the second half, he gave him nothing. And when your stars don't perform in a game like that, you're not going to win, of course. Fox, I, I hate to see it, but he just didn't have it. He just didn't have it in the biggest game of his uh, NBA career thus far. And it's sad because he's been fourth quarter Fox. Obviously, he has, you know, that hand injury or the finger injury, but that's not what everyone's going to remember. That's the thing. When we look back 15 years from now, no one's going to remember that Fox was injured in the series. They're going to say he didn't play well enough in Game 7. But Sabonis is the one I'm more disappointed in because Fox still had an amazing Game 6. Um, he had an amazing uh, Game 4. He was good in Game 2 and 1. And it's just Sabonis was very mediocre in this series, and that's putting it nicely. He did not perform well enough. He was shut down uh, down low by Looney and Draymond, especially Looney. Um, he still put up some decent stats. I think he did really well in the glass. But not well enough. Sabonis, uh, Looney beasted him on the boards overall over the course of the series. And Sabonis showed me that he has no bag. He could not sh- consistently hit an open foul line jumper. That's embarrassing, quite frankly. That's embarrassing. You should be able to hit an open foul line jumper. And, they, and he can't shoot a right-handed jump hook. He made like one in the series. You hug... His right shoulder, which he always spins off of, he does not go over the other one. He spins over and tries to ram into you like a bowling ball. I didn't think he was like that. I thought he would more, had more finesse in his game. Very disappointed in Sabonis. But Steph Curry and Kevon Looney, have it, you know, have your day. It was incredible. I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. Let me talk about the lines. The Kings deflated. It was it was it. You know, you could just see that they were demoralized. And the Warriors, you know, when you listen to the players talk, one of the biggest things they said was turnovers, taking care of the ball. Both teams took care of the ball, but the Warriors only turned the ball over seven times. And that let their defense get set, and it did not allow the Kings to get as many easy baskets. Let's talk about the Kings, who lost 100-120 to off the bench. Only, let's see, 
eight minutes for Davion Mitchell. In my opinion, a big mistake by Brown. Big mistake. He should have been playing more. It's no coincidence that the game that he played so little, Steph Curry had the best game of the series. One point, 0 for 2. That's his thing. He's not a good offensive player, but he hasn't been horrendous in the series, and his defense has made up for it. Terrence Davis, he was trying his best. I mean, 14 points, 5 for 11 from the field, and 4 for 10 from deep, but defensively, he was getting pretty cooked. Malik Monk, he had a tough one. 4 for 14 from the field, 2 for 8 from deep, 14 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists. Just tough to not shoot well in this one. Trey Lyles, 2 for 5 from the field, 6.7 boards. And then the starters, Harrison Barnes, offered really nothing. Four points. I think they should upgrade at that position this summer. Have Barnes come off the bench because they need somebody a little bit younger, a little more mobile. Someone that can hit the three ball with consistency would be nice. Harrison Barnes this season from three shot eh, 37% is pretty good. But that's so disappointing that he only shot 26% and the Warriors are just leaving him open like that. So I still think they need to make an uh, upgrade there, bring Barnes off the bench. But four points for him on one for four shooting. He only played 14 minutes. So Terrence Davis, Malik Monk, and Trey Lyles played more than him. Uh, Kevin Herter, really, really disappointing series for him. Considering he played so well with Atlanta in that 2021 run, I mean, to average... 48.5% 48.5% from the field in the regular season, and then 365 in this series. 40% from three in the regular season to just 21 in this series. Dropped from 15 points a game to 9.5, and, and his free throw shooting was even worse. It was a really tough series for, for Herder. I mean, he's a role player, so no one's going to really remember that, but they needed a lot better. Just seven points on two for nine shooting and one for six from deep. Keegan Murray, he had a slow start to this series, but as of game four, he really brought it. Um, he struggled defensively in this game, learning curve, growing pains, you want whatever you want to call it. Ten points and seven boards on five for ten from the field and 0 for two from deep. And then the two main men, De'Aaron Fox, 16 points and six assists, five turnovers, five for 19 from the field and three for 10 from deep. The moment was too big. DeMontis Sabonis. Played well in the first half. Second half, he was dog shit. Stats ended up looking good, but don't tell the story. It was not good enough at all. He was a minus 22, which is the worst on the team. 22 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists. On 10 for 16 shooting and 2 for 6 from the foul line. You know, not shooting those open foul shot jumpers or foul line jumpers. Those don't go in the stat sheet. The shots that you don't take. But that matters. That affects the team, the way the team guards you. And that's why you got to watch games and not be stat nerds. And the Warriors. So, by the way, I just want to say to all my, I know I know this uh, so, uh, season, I befriended a lot of Kings fans. And, you know, I, I like, for example, Daily Sabonis had me on his show. We had Drew, the local guy, on our preview. Um, I felt so happy for the Kings. And their fans, they got to experience the playoffs again. Golden One Center getting their first playoff. It was just rocking in there every single game. And you just, you know, I sympathize so much as a Clipper fan that experienced their team be shit. And people are always going to say, oh, it's the Clippers. It's the Kings. They're not going to do anything. Like, But they're the Clippers. But they're the Kings. See the Kings return to the playoffs and, you know, prove everybody wrong and really make this an amazing series one will always remember. 
Got to credit the fans, the players, and they were all heart this season. And Mike Brown and what he did with his team, De'Aaron Fox and the leap that he took. Yeah, I'm taking him over Jar Trey. And I know I said the two-year thing. I said the last two years playoffs and regular season combined. But my, you know, when the eye test really favors one guy to me over them, um, then I overrule it. That's only for the tiebreaker for me is what they've done the last two years, regular season and playoffs combined. But I like Fox. I think that he can get to his mid-range more whenever he wants. Um, he's faster than those two. He's not as explosive as a jaw. Not as good of a passer. But I just love what he what he can do in the in-between game. And he's a, he's a better defender than both to me. And he's clutch. But he didn't bring it in this one. However, none of those two are beating the Warriors either. So that's my opinion. If you want to, By the way, I know everyone's going to say SGA. Um, I want to see SGA play in a full playoff series before I put him in that category. But if you think he's better, I can't front. Like He's a beast. I'd take SGA over Trey Young, honestly. But I don't know. Trey Young's passing is so good. We've seen him doing it in the playoffs. So you know I'm going to slow my roll on that one. But anyway, I don't blame anybody if they have SGA. Amazing year for Fox. Sabonis has to put in work this summer. I know Keegan Murray's going to get better. I think Herder will still be great. But Sabonis has to put in work to get a right-hand jump hook. Has to. And a mid-range. The Warriors. Man. Now the world super chat. Thank you. So sorry about the Clippers. Hope springs eternal. Vince Scully, the great Vince Scully. Let's talk about the Warriors stat line. By the way, the Kings shot 37.5% from the field, 25.5% from deep. So it just wasn't it for them in this one. The Warriors, Moses Moody, 15 minutes, but a really good 15 minutes. Five points on two for three shooting. Jordan Poole, 19 minutes, 8 points, 33% shooting. So still shooting like shit. 3 for 9 from the field, 2 for 6 from deep. Needs to get going. DiVincenzo, only 8 minutes in this game. Gary Payton, um, 16 minutes, 2 points. Some good some good defense for sure. Did a really good job on Monk in the minutes that he was in. But it was a starter's game in this one. You go home, you sink or you swim with your dudes, as my man Ricky G likes to say. Kavon Looney, actually, no, he doesn't deserve to go first. Let's go with Wiggins first. 37 minutes played, 17 points, and 7 rebounds. He was 1 for 5 from deep. He was 6 for 10 from the line. He was only 5 for 16 from the field, but he guarded Fox. And that's why you got to watch the games. Lockdown. Andrew Wiggins. He's got LeBron next. Klay Thompson. Talk about somebody who really found a way to make up for his poor shooting with his defense. That's what makes Klay Thompson great. And even though he's not the defender that he once was, he brought it. And he made big shots in the second half. 16 points, 5 rebounds, 4 for 19 from the field, and 2 for 10 from deep. So not a good shooting game for Klay. But he brought it home with the defense. Draymond Green, 8.6 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals. It was a more quiet offensive game for Draymond. Defense, you know what you're going to get. Solid game in 38 minutes of play. 3 for 7 from the field, 1 for 4 from deep. But the main men, Kavon Looney, what a beast. What a series he had. 11 points, 21 rebounds, including 10 offensive rebounds, 4 for 5 from the field. I mean, what more can you say about him? UCLA, fight, fight, fight. Damn right, son. Don't think I forgot. He's a Bruin. Don't think I forgot about Kavon Looney. I just never thought he would be this good in the NBA. He could shoot threes, by the way, in college. I hope you guys know that. How about Steph Curry? For me, and I haven't said this on the show, the best player in basketball for the last three years. 
Here's why I'm saying that. In 2021, I said it was between Curry and Durant. I couldn't decide. I went with KD because of the way he played in the playoffs and because Curry got knocked out in the play-in. But I think everybody knows where I stand with Curry and KD all time. And I think, you know, they're both in their relative primes in that in 2021. And I think I'm just going to go with Curry. I like Curry's game better because the next year, I mean, we saw who Curry was. And you can argue that he had a better season in 2021, regular season. He did have a better regular season in 2021. But last year, I said after the playoffs, it's between Curry and Giannis. I have no, you know, problem with you if you go either way. As good as Jokic is, I thought he got attacked in space and he showed a flaw there. Whereas Curry, he was able to stand up to people attacking him last season in the playoffs. And of, of course, it's, he's been there, done that, you know. He's been there, done that. And he came through in the big, on the big stage. Giannis, the reason why I went with him is because, you know, the way he impacts the game on both ends of the floor... And we, you know, had Chris Middleton being out as kind of the excuse why Giannis, you know, his team didn't advance. Because Giannis statistically had a great series against Boston last year. But the way Giannis didn't really improve like that, and Steph Curry just, he's at the peak of his confidence. And I'm big on confidence. I'm big on experience and confidence. And Steph Curry right now, you could say he's in the twilight of his prime, but he's still in the twilight of it. Like he's not out of his prime yet to me. He's declined in some aspects. Like his defense isn't as sharp as last year to me. He gets tired more easy. Um, he gets tired easier. And he doesn't maybe have the same quickness off the bounce that he once did in like 2016. But he's stronger. He's more experienced. He's more confident. And there comes a point in someone's career, like 2013 Kobe or 2020 LeBron, 35 years old, where you master your own game. And Steph Curry has mastered his own game. And in my opinion, there's just no standout like a prime Kobe or a prime LeBron that could give them the edge. I think there's a clear flaw in every other player. I think Steph Curry has the least amount of flaws. He's not a great defender. That's his thing. He's not a great defender. He's not, this season, not very good defensively. He's been average. Last season, I thought he was good. But he's so good offensively. He's unstoppable. And he's just, the way, the story that Marcus Thompson told in the article just now for The Athletic, he said that Curry looked at his teammates in the face and basically, for lack of better words, to, to paraphrase, get on my back, trust each other, I'm taking us across the finish line. And he did exactly that. That's what we describe with Bill Russell. That's what we describe with the Magic Man. That's what we describe with MJ, with Braun, with Bean, with Shaq. That's the right out of their playbook. Get on my back. I'm taking us across the finish line. 50 points. The most points in a game seven ever in the history of the game. Stone cold. His career high in field goal attempts. Yes, sir. Empty that clip, Steph. Empty that clip. You sink and swim with your stars. And he's swimming like Michael Phelps, baby. <laughs> 50 points, 8 boards, and 6 dimes. 20 for 38 from the field. 7 for 18 from deep. He could not be touched. Steph Curry, best player in the world, in my opinion. I don't mind if you disagree. There are arguments for Giannis and Jokic. But give me Chef Curry any day of the week. Warriors, Lakers. What a series we have in store. Honestly, I'm just going to have to give you a little preview on Monday. Because... There's too much to get into with that. There's just too much. But, oh, my God. Adam Silver's the biggest winner here because these ratings are going to go nuts. He's going to get paid so much. Curry and LeBron with the Lakers and the Warriors behind them. I mean, oh, my God. 
It's going to be ratings that we haven't seen in the past 15 years. And trash talk on Twitter that I'm just going to be grabbing popcorn for and chilling and watching. I'm going to just watch the app explode. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be electric. Finally, first time since 1991. Warriors, Lakers. Warriors have home court advantage. A sixth seed and a seventh seed in the second round. I don't know if that's ever happened before. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. Now we are going to go to the Nuggets and the Suns and then the Heat and the Knicks. By the way, I want to say something brief about the Sixers and the Nets, actually. I actually watched game three, and, man, the Nets were really there. They were really there. You know, they were doing the same thing with Embiid. Mikhail Bridges was having a really good second half. Dinwiddie was playing pretty well. Cam Johnson was playing really well. But Royce O'Neal was missing so many open threes. And then at the end of the game, Tyrese Maxey was just cooking. Like, he just took over. Um, and the Nets, you know, they lacked that superstar. You know, Bridges, he was really good, but they just made big mistakes at the end, especially Royce O'Neal, a couple of big turnovers, um, and Maxi just could not be stopped. Also, Joe Harris, again, like, he just shat the bed in the playoffs. Like, get, get out of here, man. If you're going to keep doing that. But that series was like, it was never going to be given in the Nets. But they had to win game three to make it even close, and they didn't. Um, as, by the way, how did Embiid not get ejected? How did Embiid not get ejected for that kick to Claxton? That was insane. If that was Draymond, he would have gotten kicked out right away. Um, they got lucky with that. And Embiid had an amazing defensive play at the end of the game. It was a big block. He just had some incredible defensive plays. He really improved. And by the way, as for the best player in the world thing, it's sad that he's injured. But he can take this best player in the world thing by the scruff of the neck right now. Right now. Because every other one has flaws. You know, Curry, I mean, as I said, he has the least amount, but he's not a good defender right now. He's a little bit below average to me. Jokic can't get off the ground defensively. People attack him in the pick and roll. Kevin Durant is not looking like the best player in the world by any means right now. Giannis can't shoot still. Doesn't Still lacking in that skill department, scoring-wise. Embiid has all the tools, but he can't stay healthy in the playoffs, and he settles for jumpers too much in the playoffs, usually because he gets hurt. That's why everybody makes excuses for him. I don't know. We'll see how he feels. I mean, apparently he's not even going to play. He's doubtful for game one against Boston. I'm going to go on record right now. Amazing we're going to get that rivalry again. I cannot wait to see it. But part three, Tatum versus Embiid era. Um, Tatum has won both, obviously. I'm going to go with the Celtics. Uh, and since Embiid's out, I'm going to go six games. I was going to say seven um, because Embiid, I thought he would play. But I don't think he's going to. And if he will, he's not going to be 100%. Just like last year's second round, I'm going with Boston and six. All right. Phoenix Suns and Denver Nuggets. Now, I picked Nuggets in seven, and you might be thinking, why do you even give the Suns three games? The reason why I'm giving the Suns three games is because I watched game three against Minnesota, and Denver did a good job of like staying in front the whole way, but the Ant-Man was getting a lot of good looks, and if Carl Anthony Towns was just not so stupid, the, the, the Wolves actually could have maybe won more than a game, but the and the Nuggets are an underrated defensive team. Their numbers don't fully... You know, I don't think they fully tell the story. I think they're actually a pretty decent defensive team. Decent, though. I don't think decent wins championships. And that's my biggest thing with them. And that's why I gave, I'm giving the Suns... I gave the Suns three games before the series. If I had to choose after game one, I would say six games. But I'm going to give them three games as of ne uh, before the series because drop coverage... If Jokic is in drop, KD and Booker will kill them, just like they did the Clippers. And if Jokic hedges the screens, which he always does... The Suns in four-on-threes are tough to guard, and Torrey Craig was killing us from the three ball. So I gave them three games. 
Especially, and that's a lot of it's just respecting KD and Booker a lot. But man, I was super happy to see what I saw in game one. The Nuggets, it was a comprehensive beatdown. The first quarter was close, and the Suns led by a little bit in the second. But then to end the half, this the, the Nuggets outscored the Suns 37-19 to in the second quarter. And it started with Jamal Murray in that pick-and-roll with Jokic. I mean, is there a tougher pick-and-roll combo in the league? There's not. The closest pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop duo to them is Harden and Embiid. But I'm taking Jokic and Murray all day. And I think it's like, this is exactly why the people that were holding it against Jokic for not making it out of the first round these last two years sounds so stupid. It's more than just not having another star. It's about what Murray does for Jokic. Jokic is going to get his numbers regardless, but that pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop tandem is like hell to guard. Trust me, I'm a Clipper fan. I understand how hard it is to guard. So this is why you can't guard it at all. If you drop, Jamal Murray is one of the best in the league in the mid-range. There's no shot inside the three-point arc that he's uncomfortable taking. And in the playoffs, this guy is a star. So if you're a Jokic fan, stop with the whole, you made it to this and that with no, you know, number one C with no other all-star. Okay, fine. In the playoffs, he becomes an all-star. You can't believe in this Nuggets team to win a championship if you don't consider Murray the way I'm talking about him. Because if it's, not, if it's just one star, he's not going to win a championship. He's not. Murray is a star to me. You can't just hit the shots that he was making yesterday uh, without being a star. It's not just a one-off game. Everybody says, bubble Murray, bubble Murray. No, this is who he is. A lot of people shot better in the bubble. That's fine. But he is. this is who he is. He's that good. He can go both ways. He can shoot off balance, one-footed like footed leaners. Like He's got it all. Step backs. And so when you drop on him, cash. If you hedge the screen, you better not let it get to Jokic over the top. Because if you do, he's going to cook you in the four-on-three. If you blitz Murray, you will very likely get Jokic in that four-on-three, and you're screwed. He's got a great floater. He can find anybody as well as anybody in the, in the world. Aaron Gordon, KCP, these guys do a good job cutting. And then if you switch, unlike some other big men in the league, Jokic is actually going to take your ass to the block if you're a point guard guarding Murray or even a wing and post your ass up. Or Murray can cook your center. You pick. It's so hard to guard them. The best thing I can say is to have a switch everything unit with guys that are strong enough to make Jokic's life a little bit tough in the post. And I would say the best five-man unit that's equipped to potentially do that is Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, and Time Lord. That's the five, or maybe Grant Williams instead of Time Lord. But I don't know. I think Time Lord is, is great for that kind of stuff. I don't know how good of a post defender he is, but having him around the rim would be great. I think that would be the best one, uh, way to go. But the point is, the Suns could not stop Murray in the pick and roll. I didn't pay close enough attention to who was really guarding him more. Okogi was starting over Craig. I have no idea why. Craig played five more minutes, was one for two from deep. But it was just shocking to me. And I think Monty Williams is not utilizing his depth well enough. Yes, his depth sucks. But there are players on this team like TJ Warren and Cam Payne who should be playing more than Landry Shamit and Damian Lee. Cameron Payne gave a lot of teams hell in the 2021 playoffs with his speed off the bounce. I don't know what he's doing on the bench. I know he just came out back from an injury, but come on. And TJ Warren is capable of scoring 12 to 14 points a night. Damian Lee and Sham broke. He, I mean, they're not. I know Shaman made his only shot, but defensively, the Nuggets are cooking him. Damian Lee, he's not great defensively either. And in this game, it was just a classic KD and Booker shoot efficiently, and nobody else does anything. KD with 29 points and 14 boards on 12 for 19 shooting. 
one of three from deep. Devin Booker, 27 points, four rebounds, eight assists on 10 for 19 shooting, only shot one three. The Suns shot seven for 23 from three, only 30%, 51% from the field. The thing about the Suns is they do not shoot enough threes. And I know I'm a type of guy that hates the emphasis on threes, but they need to get up more because mathematically it's just tough for them. I love the mid-range, but they, there needs to be a balance there. Chris Paul is not a spot-up shooter. I know he shot well catch-and-shoot threes in the regular season, but it's just against different level of competition where you know, you're playing in the playoffs, your legs are going to get a, more, a little more tired, you're going to have better defenders closing out on you, the closeout speed is going to be faster. He's just not com- – it doesn't look natural to me, Chris Paul off the catch. That's exactly why he – like when we had Chauncey, Clippers – it just felt a little bit un- – I loved it, but it felt a little bit unnatural for Chris Paul. So that's why he went out and got J.J. and Willie Green so they can come off the ball. And then Randy Foy played with him when, when Chauncey tore his Achilles. Like, he wanted an off-ball shooting guard. You know what I'm saying? So, CP, a pedestrian, doing nothing. Aiton was – oh, my God. Let me get into this guy. DeAndre Aiton, I'm so high on him because I think he has all the talent in the world. But he plays like such – a softy. There was one play that was going viral of Jokic with three chances on the glass, and he was standing there watching the game. There are a lot of Suns fans, my friend, that you can sit down and watch the game with on the couch as well. That's unacceptable effort. And you said, I don't I don't know what the word motor means. That sounds like the same way KD says, I don't know what leader means. Stop saying you don't know what that means. It's a valid criticism of you. You don't look like you want it enough. And I understand his teammates don't keep him engaged. I understand that with KD, his looks and touches are going to go down. But you have to work. You have to work. You have to have some more pride than that. If you really don't like it, ask for a trade this summer. Because I don't like that's embarrassing. Wasting that talent like that. The Nuggets, though, you couldn't stop them in that pick and roll. And Murray in the... Oh, my God. It was ridiculous. He was putting on a show in the second half. I couldn't believe it. Every shot in the book, step back, going both ways, you know, spin mid-ranges, you know, off the spin, three balls, just insane finishes, crazy display of handles. I mean, this guy, and he said it, we've been waiting for this. He was screaming to the crowd, we've been waiting for this. Stop playing with Denver. I told y'all they were legit from the beginning. I told you the guys they were winning the West from like December. I'm, I've been saying they were going to win the West. They're going to win. This is it. This is the best chance the Denver Nuggets franchise has ever had of winning a championship. They have an extremely special player. And he didn't even, didn't even need to take that many shots in this game. He shot 21 times. He had 24 points, 19 rebounds, and 5 assists on 9 for 21 shooting. Only 1 for 2 from deep. The Nuggets had 16 offensive rebounds to the Suns, 8. And when the Suns turned the ball over, the Nuggets made them pay and were looking to push the pace. One thing you're going to look for in this series, the Suns do not want to run. The Clippers were not a team that was fast enough. The Nuggets will push pace, especially in the altitude. They will run them out of there. Fast break points. It's funny because the Suns actually had more, 23 to 20. And they had more paint points, which is insane. But the Suns had only seven three-pointers. The Nuggets were 16 for 37 from beyond the arc, 43%. They also had 16 offensive rebounds to the Suns, 8. So overall, they won the rebounding battle. The Suns, again, Booker and KD are going to score. But this is my problem with KD. You were shooting so efficiently, and you only have 19 shot attempts. Jokic and Murray have more shots than you. 
that my biggest issue with Kevin Durant over the course of his career is he almost never, and, and 2021 against the Bucks, that was the best I saw from this, in this respect, take the game by the scruff of the neck and start gunning. You are Kevin Durant. You're one of the most efficient three-level scorers the game has ever seen. Shoot the fucking ball more than 20 times. Stop being so, like, nice. That's my issue. I'm just, I'm just playing. I just be hooping, playing through the flow of the game. No, bro, no. Do you see what Steph Curry did today? He grabbed the game by the throat. KD rarely does that. And that's my big issue with him. Huge. Denver, Jamal Murray, he wasn't playing games, dude. I was impressed. And I'm not going to lie. I don't root for anybody in the playoffs like that. But I'm rooting hard for Denver. Because the Suns, when they see a real healthy team, bro, they look like they're seeing ghosts. Because they've never beaten a healthy team in in this run with Chris Paul. And it's not going to change here either. I can't wait to see them lose because people need to find out what lack of chemistry means. What what throwing, a, you know, what just top end talent, it doesn't do everything. You know what I'm saying? When you have depth and Chris Paul is not who you thought he was. Chris Paul is not what he was last year. Anyway, let's read the lines. 125 to 107, Denver by 18. They ran him out of there, pushing it off every miss. The role players, KCP and Aaron Gordon, were amazing. Aaron Gordon completely outplayed Chris Paul. And at this point, is Chris Paul even a more impactful player than Aaron Gordon? Considering Aaron Gordon guards the other team's best player? Is he? I think Chris Paul could lead his own team further. Neither of them are leading a team past the first round ever. Aaron Gordon was never doing that. Chris Paul's not doing that anymore. But... Aaron Gordon might... Let me know what you think. Does Aaron Gordon impact the game right now more than uh, Chris Paul? But let's read the lines. The Suns had a grand total. And some of these, mind you, are in garbage time. They waved the white flag with five minutes left. That's how much of a beatdown this was. It wasn't even close. Every time they tried to inch closer, the Nuggets would push up. And it's so hard to guard Denver because of that pick and roll. Like, it's so hard. And the Nuggets, like, don't even play a center anymore off the bench. Um, Reggie Jackson and... and, uh, Thomas Bryant aren't, aren't getting a lick. But what was I going to say? Every time the Suns would get a couple of buckets, they either could not get a stop or a rebound. Like, it could not. Phoenix, I'm going to count the bench points all together, even though some of these are garbage time. But 28 bench points. Yeah, they actually won the bench points battle in the end. But it's just so misleading because, like, for example... Campaign at five points off the bench in five minutes. Those are the last five minutes I'm talking about. Terrence Ross, actually, he didn't even, even score. Ish Wainwright had three points in bench time, uh, in garbage time. So, like, you subtract eight, looks a little different. But Josh Okogie and Torrey Craig combined for five points. And if the Clippers got that, that would have been pretty nice. DeAndre Ayton had 14 points and seven boards on seven for 11 shooting. It just looks so good on, on the stats, but he's just, you've got to watch the games with him. He was awful. Chris Paul, 11 points, five assists, five for 11 from the field, and one for five from three. It was so average. Devin Booker, 27-4-8 on 10-for-19 shooting. He was pretty good. His defense wasn't great in this game, though. He couldn't guard Murray. KD, 29 points, 14 boards on 12-for-19 shooting and three blocks. But he had seven turnovers. Seven. And he took accountability after the game. So, all, all credit to him. The Nuggets, though. Bruce Brown was awesome off the bench. I love the way he plays D and then gets out and runs. 14 points for him. 7-for-11 from the field for Bruce Brown. It was just really awesome. Um, the starters though, it was a starters game. KCP, three for eight from three, 10 points, good defense. Michael Porter Jr., 
11 points on 5 for 9 shooting, and he played really well in Game 3 against the Wolves too. Very quiet 24 points, but he started to get going um, off the ball and just making quick decisions, and you love to see that. And that Murray, same thing against Minnesota, like that Murray pick and pop with Jokic is so hard to guard. Aaron Gordon, what a performance from him. 23.6 rebounds. He was guarding KD too. Had an amazing turnaround. Sometimes Aaron Gordon makes offensive plays where you're like, this guy should average 20 points and be a star. And then other times you're just like, this guy's offense is so disgusting. But one thing about Phoenix, they were leaving him open for threes. The guy shot 40% from three this year. Like this is not last year. So you guys are, you know, being, he shot 40, I'm sorry, 35% from three this year. So, okay, 35 is not, that great but I don't know if it's enough to just be leaving him open like that 9 for 13 3 for 4 from deep 23 points from him he was amazing uh, Jokic 24 points 19 rebounds 5 assists 3 turnovers 9 for 21 from the field and 1 for 2 from 3 5 for 5 from the line 8 offensive rebounds I mean that's an average game for him that's the crazy part he was, he was good though but it wasn't even that great of a game for him and for anyone else that's like amazing Murray, holy shit. One of the best games of his life, of his career. 34 points and 9 assists. So 3 turnovers. So 3 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. 13 for 24 from the field. 6 for 10 from 3. Only 2 free throw attempts. Amazing performance. one nothing Denver. And I don't think the, Nugget, the Suns are going to win the next one. And now let's end it off. The Knicks and the Heat. My prediction for this series is Knicks in 7. I'm sticking with that pick. Um... It was an interesting game. A little more East Coast. By the way, it's a little rematch of the late 90s rivalry. And it, games I haven't seen, by the way. But I've seen, obviously, a bunch of clips of the fights. Alonzo Mourning, Marcus Camby, Jeff Van Gundy, Pat Riley. That was a really, really physical. Tim Hardaway uh, Sr. Those, those are some physical-ass series. Some real hatred there. We had a little... I mean, 2012, we saw the Heat play the Knicks. Heat beat them up really, pretty, pretty easily. So it's cool to see them play each other again. Second round games at MSG for the first time in 10 years. And you know the sad part is 10 years ago against Indiana, the Knicks started out their second round series on a Sunday and they lost at home on a Sunday and lost the series in six. Hopefully for their sake, it is not a repeat of that. I've never seen the Knicks make the conference finals in my life. Um, 99, I was only one years old. Not even one year old because I'm an August baby. So yeah, I've never seen it. The crowd was awesome. Super awesome. You could see in the beginning they were trying to make Jimmy Butler go left, and it was working in the beginning. He was pretty quiet. Uh, Hart was doing a decent job. Um, Brunson was putting all the Heat smaller guards or like the weak link guard like Struess, Lowry in the pick and roll, and he was getting really good stuff. Really, he was getting two feet in the paint, scoring. Obi Toppin was looking good. The Knicks were up majority of the first half and led fifty-five. To 50 after one. I thought the way that the Heat were playing, the considering they were only down five at halftime, was pretty good. They were just kind of hanging around. Um, remember, the Knicks don't have Julius Randle. And even though I have a problem with the way Julius Randle, just like his shot selection and his decision-making at times, he attracts two defenders and he puts a lot of pressure on your defense. Um, and he just adds toughness. And the Knicks missed him in that, in that sense. But the real reason why Miami was able to kind of take over this game in the second half, their supporting cast has stepped up to the occasion. I don't know when they're going to come down come back to earth or maybe they're just built for the playoffs. They didn't shoot as well from 3 in this game, 13 for 39 from deep, 33 points, but the Knicks were even worse from deep, 20.6% and there were a lot of possessions where they just took ill-advised threes, semi-contested, plenty of time, just 
no need. Bad shots for the Knicks. But a lot of them were also open, and they should have made a lot of them. But the role players for the Heat are what really got them going. Kevin Love, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, and Kyle Lowry. I am so impressed with Kyle Lowry so far in these playoffs. I'm not a huge fan of his game. Last season, he looked cooked. He was clearly battling an injury. But this season, he hasn't even looked that good either. A lot of Heat fans are saying, get rid of him. He is looking amazing in these playoffs. The way he was snaking that pick and roll, going to his left, because he does not like going to his right, but going to his left and fading away, falling away to his left, kind of like Lou Williams used to, cash, hitting threes. And then in the second half, there was one play where he went to his right, pump fake, guy was draped all over him, and he still made the shot to beat the shot clock, and his defense was so good. The amount of hands, I'm um, sorry, the amount of times he got his hands on the ball, strips, you know, steals, blocks, just getting into the mix, making big defensive plays, tying guys up. It was huge. Caleb Martin, his athleticism, he's been able to hit the three ball, playing good defense, being good in transition. He was one for five from three in this game, three for eight overall, but nine points, five rebounds, um, and was a plus four. Really solid. Gabe Vincent continues to play much better defense than Hero, and you let me know, Heat fans, are the Heat a much better defensive team without Hero? Because right now, they don't look like they miss him at all. Gabe Vincent knocking down shots and drop coverage. Remember, Mitchell Robinson is going to be dropping deep, so you got to take advantage of that. The guys on the point of attack for New York have to do better. And by the way, Jimmy Butler was guarding Jalen Brunson's second half, and it was totally different. Whenever anybody else was guarding Brunson, he was having a lot more success. But when Jimmy Butler was guarding him, totally different. So the fact that Jimmy Butler has to be the man, and he's guarding the best player, Shows how insane he's been in these playoffs. But Gabe Vincent, 20 points, 5 assists on 6-for-16 shooting and 5-for-12 from 3, big time. And Kevin Love in the third quarter had three outlet passes in the span of like three minutes that were pinpoint. And Jimmy Butler was on the receiving end for a couple of those. It was insane. I'd never seen something like that in a playoff game three times in a row like that. Outlets and Kevin Love, in my opinion, is the best outlet passer of his generation. LeBron and Jokic, you know, have a small case, but I think he's just a specialist. Love, it's really pinpoint, and he looks for it right away every time. Um, he always draws West Unseld comparisons in that regard, but it was amazing. And then, yeah, I said it Kyle Lowry, um, Caleb Martin, and Kevin Love, and Gabe Vincent, big time, Jimmy Butler. 8 for 16 from the field, 25 points, 11 rebounds, 9 for 11 from the line. I mean, four offensive rebounds. The Heat had 10 offensive rebounds, Knicks 12. So they did a good job, at least, Miami, of not getting killed on the glass. Remember, against Atlanta, they got destroyed on the glass. But I will say this. Having Kevin Love helps with rebounding for sure. But... When they got killed on the glass against Atlanta, I was a little nervous about them going forward, but they stood up to the task against a physical Knicks team. And Eric Spolster is a hell of a coach. You know he's going to have the right game plan at all times. Um, but Jimmy Butler guarding Brunson, it was really affecting him. The Knicks need Randall back. They need to make their open threes. Um, I think that's the moral of the story. got to make their open threes. And let's see. Let's read the lines. Maybe get a little more clarity. 108-101, to the Heat upset the Knicks. Get a steal and take home court advantage going back to Miami it's, it just continues to be the Cinderella story for the Heat but I have to say Jimmy Butler got hurt he sprained his ankle trying to drive on Josh Hart will that be a factor he could barely move after that he wasn't really getting the ball the other guys kind of closed for him he was just kind of sitting in the corner 
So we will, and by the way, RJ Barrett legit had Jimmy Butler on him and he called for a screen. Like what the fuck was that when he was injured? So ridiculous, but oof, we'll see. I hope he's not out, but here's the thing. If you're the heat and I want you to answer this in the comment, um, do you rest Jimmy Butler for game two, knowing that you already got what you came for, have him rested because there's an extra day of rest for the game three in Miami. You let me know in the comments, but it's, you can consider it. Jimmy's not the type of guy that will want to rest, but who knows? I mean, that ankle sprain looked pretty bad, but he's a tough cookie. He's going to go for it. The Knicks played an eight-man rotation. They shot 20.6% from three. That's weak. And they were shooting well against Cleveland. 48% from the field, but this Miami team is going to be better than Cleveland. They're battle-tested. We talk about the Warriors' experience. You can see the Heat's experience. 14 minutes for Hartenstein, two points, two rebounds on one for one shooting. I got nothing to say about him. I didn't really notice him much. And mind you, you know, I, I always say what lens I'm watching the games from. During the regular season, I always watch Laker and Clipper games with those teams' lens because we cover them. But with playoffs, I choose the team that's more desperate. In game ones, I usually just watch it as a fan from both sides, just try to pick up as much as I can. But so in that sense, that's why my analysis isn't as detailed for one team as it was for like the Warriors and the Kings just now. Um, so I didn't really notice Hartenstein. He was a plus six, but didn't notice him. Quinton Grimes. He's back. He had 10 minutes, four points, one for three from the field. Those were all three-point attempts. Nothing much to say about him. He was a plus one. Didn't play enough for me to really notice him. Emmanuel quickly got 27 minutes, nine points, three for nine from the field, and one for four from deep. His defense seemed okay, even though I wasn't paying too close of attention to his individual defense, but 33% from the field and 25% from three. Quickly needs to be better shooting the ball. He has not been good enough in these playoffs, considering he was like second and sixth man of the year voting or whatever he was. He shot 45% from the field in the regular season and 38 or 37 from deep, and he's shooting 34% from the field in the playoffs. And I don't even know if that's calculated in game one. He's got to be better. How about the starters? Obi Toppin. I actually thought he played well. His three ball, I mean, went a little bit cold. But 18 points and eight boards. Seven for 15 from the field. Four for 11 from deep. Um, the Knicks, by the way, shot 12 of 20 from the foul line. The Heat shot 23 for 29. So 60% versus 79%. That's also going to make a difference. But Obi Toppin, I mean, I like the way he played. But... Four for, 11, four for 11 from three is not is not bad. It's like, what, 36%? That's not bad. It stretches the defense out. I don't know if Randall's shooting that well. I mean, he, sometimes he does, but it's not often. Mitchell Robinson, seven points, 14 rebounds, five of those offensive. So he was still doing similar things that what he did in the Cleveland series, but he was not nearly as effective defensively. And I think part of that is because the in-between game, the Heat embraced more than the Cavs. They also have more shooting. But a solid double-double for Mitch, three for three from the field, one for four from the foul line, including an air ball. So that was embarrassing. I didn't know he was that bad at free throws. Josh Hart, 10 points, eight boards, four assists on five for 12 shooting. I thought he played really hard, good defense. He was five for eight from the from inside the arc, but 0 for four from deep. He got some really good looks, and he just needed to make them. Didn't. RJ Barrett. 26 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. He did have 4 turnovers, though, on... Oh, my phone died. On, I think they said... Oh, man. <laughs> Apologies if you're listening on uh, 
Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It'll be a five-second delay. But he had take 26 points on 10 for 20 shooting. Um, one for five from deep, though, and five for eight from the line. So he needs to shoot better from the line in three. Um, it was a pretty quiet 26, I'm not going to lie. As I said, he had Jimmy Butler on him, and he could, was literally limping. It didn't go at him. So I thought that was pretty embarrassing. Brunson, another solid game for Brunson, in my opinion, but five turnovers. Five of the 13 Knicks turnovers, 25 points, five rebounds, seven assists on 11 for 23 shooting, 0 for 7 from deep. So Obi Toppin had four of the seven threes for New York. They need to shoot the ball better, and they need to take smarter threes. Not all of them are very good looks, in my opinion. So you're going to need a little bit better, but I thought Brunson and and Barrett were fine. They just miss Randall a lot. As for the Heat, they went... I want to say 10 deep. Haywood Highsmith got five minutes. Two points. was pretty quiet. Cody Zeller, eight minutes. Had a donut. Made one nice pass, I remember. One point. Duncan Robinson got 13 minutes and had a donut and missed five threes. Kevin Love only played 16 minutes as a starter. Nine points, five rebounds, four assists. But as I said, those outlet passes were amazing. Changed the momentum of the game. Three for seven from the field. The Heat's defense was really good in the second half. Only 46 points for the Knicks. They outscored them 31 to 20 in the third. That was the big difference. Max Struess, 23 minutes, eight points, three for six from the field, and two for five from deep. So you just want him to be efficient. I thought they should have put him in the action more. I don't know why they didn't. That was something that the Hawks had success uh, with. I would put him in the action, buddy, in that starting lineup, not Vincent, which they seem like they were trying to do. As for Lowry, who played 30 minutes, I thought he was amazing. You could argue the player of the game in this one. 18 points, five rebounds, six assists, one steal. Listen to this stat. Four blocks. Four blocks for Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry with four blocks. Insane. Five for 12 from the field and three for six from deep. Five for six from the foul line. He did a little bit of everything. And as I said, Caleb Martin, nine points, five boards on three for eight shooting. Kyle Lowry, got to give him all the credit in the world. He has been big time in these playoffs. Man, I hate how my sound probably lags a little bit for the live people when I tr- my computer gets overheated and I look at the stats as well. To have several, you know, several tabs open. Annoying apologies for that, YouTube people. Start The other starters, Gabe Vincent already said him, 20 points on 6 for 16 shooting and 5 for 12 from 3. He was the second leading scorer for the Heat. Um, to have four players score over 16 points is big time. Bam Adebayo wasn't necessarily super aggressive, but I really liked what he was doing on both ends. He hit the mid-range and was shooting with a little more cons- confidence and consistency. When he shoots the ball with confidence, he's a different player. He had a nice little float shot um, or push shot, I should, as I should say. Um, finishes around the rim, 7 for 13 for Bam, 16 points, 8 rebounds, solid performance, but they're going to need better than solid, in my opinion, to win the series, especially if Jimmy Butler's going to be out for a game or not 100%, but Jimmy, a beast, 25 points, 11 rebounds, and 4 assists to go along with 2 steals, again, double-double, finding a way to impact the game, and his defense was just so massive against Brunson, even though Brunson's stats look pretty good, the defense made his life tough. Let me check the team stats before we end this thing. Knicks actually won the rebounding battle, but they lost the free throw battle. 11 more points from the line for the Heat, and then six more threes made. So the foul line in the three, it seems like, was the difference. 
or what the difference? And then 22 points off 13 Knicks turnovers for the Heat. So some point of points of emphasis for the next game, but they're going to need Randall back. But that's it for me tonight, y'all. One hour, 30 minutes, comprehensive. Check out the timestamp if you only want to listen to me talk about specific games. I still haven't seen Net Sixers Game 4. I may just watch it before the series kicks off. Um, Boston series, because why not? I want to make sure. I want to say that I watch every game, game of the playoffs. Because I think last year I did, or I was close to it. But I want to kind of say I did that. Got to catch some of it. And I didn't watch games four and five of the Nuggets series. But I may just do it for the fuck of it to talk about Minnesota a little more. Um, the thing about Minnesota in that game three, guys, is like, besides the Ant-Man, the other guys just don't do it for me. Like, Gobert's getting cooked by Jokic, dude. Like, that guy's a good rim protector. But in the post, like, against a really elite post center, he's getting destroyed. Like, he's not all that. Jokic is just jump-hooking him to death. <laughs> it's comedy. And then, I mean, I don't think Kyle Anderson played that great for his standards. Um, and Cat actually didn't do that badly, but it's just they couldn't get enough stops. They're just not a better team. You know, it's just hard to say. They're just not a better team. Five games was my pick, and that's what it should be, and that's what it was. So, what do the Wolves do this summer? I mean, Ant's going to be a monster. I would honestly trade Cat, dude. I don't think he's a winning player. I would trade him. I don't know. They also missed McDaniels. Maybe they could have made it a six-game series. I don't know. But that's it for me tonight, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll be live, of course, on Monday night to talk about the Celtics and the Sixers. Game one and game two of the Nuggets and the Suns. What games or what good games we have in store? Every single second-round series is a straight banger as we enter the month of May. Good night, Dime Dropper fam. And now we go to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat. Super Chats are turned on. You want to drop a dollar or a dime.